0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you.
1: One of the most loved verses in the Bible is Romans 8, verse 28, a verse that many will have read and heard many, many times. It is one of the great promises of the Bible, and it says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And in truth, this is very often where we stop and leave the second part out. We say, what a great promise, for we know that in all things, not only in the good things, but also in the bad things, the sad and the tragic times of life. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Not that all things that happen to us are good, but he works them together for good. But we often stop there, but we shouldn't because the rest of the verse is crucial. And it goes on to say these words, who are called according to his purpose. The promise of this verse, that all things work together for good, is pivotal on these last few words, which say, who are called according to his purpose. Perhaps easily quoted, but needs to be seen as a whole. And today I want to start a short series looking at the idea of what it means to be called according to his purposes. Not ours, not our agenda for life, but his As followers of Christ, who have had their lives transformed by the work of the cross, and who are now part of his purpose and his plans to see his kingdom come, what are his purposes for us? What does that mean, intangible, everyday things for us? A time, perhaps, to remind ourselves of what our call is as followers of Christ. The idea of being called unto something, of being called out, is not new, as many of you will know that the word church is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning called out. So for a while, I want to dig a little deeper into what some of these things are. If I can be as bold to put it like this, what are the non-negotiables, really? What are the expectations that Jesus and Scripture ask of us as a called out people. I have to confess, sometimes it is difficult or perhaps delicate speaking to followers of Christ about expectations or requirements that go along with being disciples of Christ and working this out in a day-to-day basis. You may ask me why. Well, we are very comfortable with expectations required of us at work, at school, at university, at our sports clubs, or our kids clubs, and so on. But as soon as one brokers the conversation about issues of being called out, of cost, of remit, and what this means, the response can be quite confronting. Why are you talking to me about these things? Yesterday, and if you see me moving very slowly, yesterday saw the start of the new rugby season. And for those of us who've decided to referee for another year, despite promising ourselves and our wife that we would retire, I couldn't use this analogy tonight, but I have had more retirements than comebacks than Frank Sinatra and Tom Jones put together. But, you know, there are some certain givens in choosing to be a referee. You're required to have a certain level of fitness. You're expected, although not everybody knows, the laws of the game. You are tested on them. You're expected to attend weekly meetings for referees. You're required to attend extra courses to do with safety. You are supposed to represent the Waikato Rugby Union with dignity and pride. You are assessed regularly, if not weekly, on your performance. You are prepared to have your work criticized from the sideline by people who do not know the laws, but you are not allowed to retaliate. But this is okay because the people who do this, this is their passion. It is what they feel is their passion. So as we look at what it means to be called out or called unto something as followers of a king, our starting place, our foundational premise is found in Matthew 6, 33. And to paraphrase it says that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and we trust him for everything else. Or as the English Standard Version says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're not going to examine this verse in detail, but much will flow from it. And if I can encourage you to take some time over these next couple of weeks to focus on this verse, then it will help prepare us for the Sundays. Today, my question to us all is this, as followers of Christ, What is our great passion? As a called out people, what should our passion be in our life? What drives us? What gets us up in the morning? What gets us out of bed? What excites us? What inspires us? What keeps us going when life is hard and we want to give up? What spurs us on and keeps us going? What calibrates us and keeps us on track? May I suggest that something of this answer is to be found in those few verses that Daniel referenced last week. Matthew 22, verses 33 to 40 says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, you you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Nearly three years ago, Bishop Michael Curry captured the world's attention when he said these following words and now in the name of our loving liberating and life-giving the father the life-giving god the father son and holy spirit amen he captured the world because he further captured everyone's attention with a long and powerful address in st george's chapel westminster at the wedding of prince harry and meghan markle two middle-aged celebrities trying to be young and relevant The Chicago-born bishop spoke passionately about the power of love, so much so, the members of the royal family were noticeably uncomfortable. You can see it in the footage. Dr. Curry is talking about the power of love, and he quoted Dr. Martin Luther King and said, there is power in love, do not underestimate it. We're going to just see a short clip, 90 seconds from his sermon. Thank you.
0: The late Dr. Martin Luther King once said, and I quote, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. For love, love is the only way. There's power in love. Don't underestimate it. Don't even over sentimentalize it. There's power, power in love. If you don't believe me, think about a time when you first fell in love. The whole world seemed to center around you and your beloved. Well, there's power, power in love, not just in its romantic forms, but any form, any shape of love. There's a certain sense in in which when you are loved and you know it, when someone cares for you and you know it, when you love and you show it, it actually feels right. There's something right about it. And there's a reason for it. The reason has to do with the source. We were made by a power of love and our lives were meant and are meant to be lived in that love. That's why we, were, we are here.
1: He actually began his address based on the Song of Songs And I'm sure that those attending the wedding did not expect to hear such a a powerful message. Some loved it, some clearly did not. What Bishop Michael Curry said was fantastic in part, but I do not believe it was the gospel. He rooted his message about love in the type of love that we can generate for one another. And whilst he referenced and mentioned the unconditional love of God and said that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, I still don't think that it was the gospel. At no point in his sermon at St. George's Chapel did he say that this love to change us and to change our community comes through a cross. It comes through the cross. At no point did he say we will end up disappointed and distressed if we try to love and live in this world if we ignore the love of Christ that took him to the cross. This is our passion, the love that God poured out for us that sent him to a cross. To tell people to love one another without telling them the greatest secret of all that God's love is available to all through the cross is just so sad. Just to tell people to love without the cross hangs them out to dry in many ways. He has called us to be a people of his kingdom, called out with a passion for the love that sent him to the cross and which is poured out on us today and is transformational. This is our passion. Actually, what happened in May, 2018 was quite lovely and the challenge to love one another is always good especially when there is so much distrust and hate and prejudice around us but today there is a greater love today there is a deeper love that motivates us and exhorts us on as followers of Christ of people that are called out to live in the 21st century not just a love we can generate from ourselves but a love that comes from god which is why jesus when asked by a group of pharisees what was the greatest love he said here is the thing that holds life together love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your mind and your soul and love your neighbor as yourself which ironically is based on the old testament Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is saying, These truths, these words that I speak rooted in seeking first the kingdom of God, which he had spoke just earlier, are what keeps life together, are what make life work. This is what we are called out to do, and we are called out for, to love him with all our heart and with all our mind and soul, and then it overflows to other people. This is our passion. This is our priority, right now priorities calibrate life. You know, one of the things that I found the hardest during lockdown was I struggled not coming to church. My whole life is calibrated around starting the week with you and with our people, that something is right and it's in its place and it has it set in motion the rest of my week. And my week started to fray at the edges because... I wasn't able to do it. And I think there is a principle there that right priorities calibrate life. Have our lives today perhaps begun to unravel, perhaps not making so much sense and become loose around the edges because perhaps we have lost something of keeping the main thing, the main thing rooted in Christ, not, that's not, seeking his, not that seeking his kingdom will necessarily save us from the storm, far from it, but it will provide shelter and haven in in the storms of life and when they are faced. As individuals, as couples, as families, we need to have the honest and open discussion about putting his purposes and reputation above our reputation and our purposes, about doing what is appropriate for a called out people, which may well be inconvenient, and invade our own space, but it's an honest discussion that we need to have. The passion for this is not going to overflow out of anything we can generate, but being the people of God and spending our time with Him and walking with Him. Often, the church over the past 40, 50 years has been known for what it stands against rather than perhaps what it stands for. And even in the recent COVID times, we have stood against certain things across the world as a church, lockdowns and levels. Not that we should shy away from making a stand when we need to and when it is right, we need to make a stand. But regrettably, we are known more for what we stand against than what we stand for. When actually, we should be known firstly as people who love God, who love our neighbors as we love ourselves. What does it mean to love God with all our hearts? Well, we have a couple of incidences here from Romans and Galatians, which will help us see it again. Romans, Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law this is our passion galatians in the amplified version says for the whole law concerning human relationships is filled in one precept you should love your neighbor as yourself that is you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit was bishop right three years ago when he said that love could change the world yes in part but the roots of this love that can change the world are deeply embedded in god and in his character and what he has done for each and every one of us of the cross on the cross we could be left thinking that if we tried a little harder if we tried loving a little bit more if we tried to be a little bit kinder in our own strength that maybe we could make a difference but it comes from the overflow of realizing his transformational love has been poured out for us, undeserved, unmerited, and that it is the flow into us and through us to our neighbors around us. Actually, when we examine the words that we use to describe this type of love, we realize that Jesus is pointing to a love that cannot be rooted in or kindled by our own efforts. So when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God, the words are important, and we'll just have a brief look at them. The Greek word he uses here, he uses really, and many of us will know it, and again, Daniel referenced it last week, it is the word agape, and we will be familiar with that, which means love, meaning unconditionally, wholeheartedly, with everything that we have, unstintingly, unwaveringly. That's what. Agape means the Lord, kurios. He is the one who is sovereign over us, who owns us, who controls us, who is our God. I don't know which of us can say that we love our God in this way. I have to confess, I can't say that I love him that way. It is the desire of my heart to love him in such a way. But on my journey, I hope to get a little bit more and more like that each day. I want him, and I'm sure that we do, we want him to have everything. I want him to be the center of my life. I want him to be the beating heart of who I am. I want him to be the first thing that I think of in the morning and the last thing that I think of at night. I want him to occupy a place in my imagination and my thought life that he pushes out everything else and that he is my passion i want him to have such a place that when he prompts me quietly when i have been harsh or unkind or short or used a wrong a wrong tone in my words that i will do something about it that he can just nudge me and i will do it and that i'm bold enough to say that i'm sorry i want him to nudge me when perhaps i shouldn't be watching or listening to something even innocently that when he tells me that's not the best for me that I respond. You know, I love the words of Nicky Gumbel. He just sums things up so well. He says, life is short. Make the most of it. Put God first. Love deeply. Forgive quickly. Laugh a lot. Find and live out your purpose. Isn't that amazing? There's, a, there's an old story that Don and I have both used on different occasions, and apologies for for pinching it again this morning. But in the mint of the United States, when they are teaching people to identify fraud, when they're identifying people to identify, I should say, fake money, they ignore fake money. They teach them to be so familiar with the real thing, as soon as they touch it, they know it's a fraud. Isn't that amazing that when the challenge there at multiple levels to us as Christians, that we know the love of God, that we are so, we are so intimate, that we know it, that we, even when we touch it, we just know that it's the real thing. But when people come into proximity with us, that they know that this is the real thing, that they know that this is a person that God has been with, that this love that can change the world, our lives and neighborhood, This unconditional, this unmerited, this ever-flowing, life-giving, grace-giving, transforming, community-changing, even politics-changing, sin-forgiving, body-healing, love of Jesus is to be our passion, and we are to love the Lord, and we are to love the neighbors as ourselves. If you've never experienced this love that i reference then you can know this love before you leave this morning you may be here and you may be saved for many years and you may be saying inwardly well that's lovely chris but i'm already a christian but i want to challenge you this morning to discover this love again and again and again that we just don't put it all then we found jesus a number of years ago and that we have occasional high times of praise or being in his presence. But it's something that we need to discover every day of our lives. We need to be stirred up for his love. We must learn to live in this abundant love. Learn to let it shape us and to transform us. Not relegated to some experience that was many, many years ago and as I said, dusted off. For perhaps we have allowed people, pursuits and other things Help us that have allowed us to lose what is our great passion. You know, on a personal note, I am deeply privileged to do what I do, and I love what I do. I get to walk and talk with people at some of the most important moments of their lives weddings, dedications, funerals, crisis, life changing decisions in the home, in the hospital, in the hospice, and so much more. I get to see people who are going through day-to-day stuff that it utterly amazes me how some of you have managed to keep going it amazes me and if i tell told some of your stories the rest of the room would go quiet just like it did when we talked to jamie and to eva It amazes me that some of you are still here, that you haven't given up, haven't walked away, and I tell you, it's because of his incredible, unfailing love which will never let us go. It needs to be again reestablished as the passion of our life in the world in which we live. There is enough resource in his love to address what each and every one of us are facing today, that teenager that brings chaos into our home, that husband or wife who is wavering, the spouse who won't listen, that mother or mother-in-law who interferes, that relationship that's not working, that neighbor from hell that you have to put up with. The love of God is big enough to encompass it all, hold us, and will carry it, carry us through if we allow Him to do that sick person that you would give your very life to see them better. The love of God is present in each situations. George Matterson was born in 1842, and suffered poor eyesight from birth. At the age of 15, learned that he would eventually go blind. Not one to be easily discouraged, he enrolled in the University of Glasgow, and graduated at the age of 19. He then began theological studies, and it was while pursuing those that he became totally blind. Matheson's sister rose to the occasion and tutored him through all his studies, even going as far as she learned Hebrew, Greek, and Latin to be able to help her brother. With her help, he was able (laughs) To complete his studies. After graduation he answered a call to serve as a pastor in a church in Argyleshire in Scotland. He had a successful ministry there and was later called to serve as pastor of a much larger church of 2,000 members in St. Bernard's Church in Edinburgh. On the day that his sister was married, Matteson wrote the hymn that he is famous for. They say that he wrote this hymn in just five minutes out of intense hurt and rejection, because he was once engaged to be married, but that his fiance, on hearing that he would be totally blind and there was nothing that the doctors could do for it, she broke off their relationship. It was both into and out of this hurt that he wrote this hymn, which some of you of a certain generation will know. Oh love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths it flows, may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not in vain, that morn shall tearless be. Incredible words written about a love that comes through a cross and it is not something that we can generate. It is only this love flowing through ordinary people like you and I that can and will make a difference. It is only this that will make a difference. Imagine when we are living in a post-COVID-19 New Zealand where it will be different. Some will still be nervous and some will still be anxious, but imagine that God wants to do more through a people compelled by such a love, that God wants to do more than he simply wants to do for us when we are gathered, and that he is interested in demonstrating his incredible love in a nervous world, in a school, in a business, at the school gate. What if he wants this love to flow through us to our street, to our neighbors, our communities, and that our gatherings together are all about us being inspired to pour out his love where we are when we are not here on a Sunday. This is not a new line of thought for us at Gateway, but perhaps we have a new day of opportunity in front of us that we need to consider seizing. Let me just go back to my my verse as we bring this to a close. Loving God with all our mind and with all our soul is a very real challenge for all of us. The Greek word for all is holos, and it means everything completely, Utterly everything we are, inside out. To paraphrase, it could go like this. Love God with integrity as much on the inside as you seem to on the outside. To, the Greek word for heart is kardia, and it means feeling, impulse, affection, and desire. The Greek word for soul is psyche, the word that is used in English, and it means personhood, life, identity, and true self. And finally, the Greek word for mind is diona, and it means one's thinking, understanding, and choices. Love the Lord your God could easily sound like this. Love God with all our thinking, with all our feeling, with all our impulse, affection, with all our desire, with our personhood, our life, our identity, our true self, our understanding, and choices. That is what that verse means when it is unpacked in English, impossible in our own strength, but possible through a cross. But you know, to love God with all our heart also involves saying no to certain things and yes to others and making right choices. Sometimes as a pastor and also as a parent, you have got to ask people to say no to something, even when they reply, well, I don't want to, I want to do this. But as a pastor, If I can help you understand that by saying no to something now is because you are saying yes to something better in eternity, would it make a difference? Saying no to living outside God's instructions on sexual freedom because I'm saying yes to a better eternity, I say no to greed because I'm saying yes to a better understanding of being alive. I am saying no to bitterness, to comparison, and a judgmental spirit because I am saying yes to a healthier way of thinking and living. I want to say yes to all that God has for me, and to say yes to this, there are some things that we have to say no to. Of course, we have no's in the Christian community, like we do or like we should have in our families. Not because we are killjoys, but because we want to embrace joy and embrace life. Because we know someone who knows what real life, real love, real hope looks like. This is the first in priority, the greatest, the most important, the central command, out of it, and out of it flows, to love our neighbors. You know, it's a huge question, and I'm sure you've heard many sermons or heard many articles on who is our neighbor. But you know, in the Bible, we find that Jesus has commanded us to love three different kinds of people, our neighbors, our friends, and to love our enemies. So if we look closely and examine who is, included, who is excluded from these three, we will find no one is, no one is excluded. From the call to us to love no one is excluded from this command and to take it even further jesus highlights the point very powerfully and very much in the face of his jewish audience in luke 10 when he tells the story of a good samaritan we are called to love everyone everyone that is around us i have to confess that sometimes i do find it hard to love those who have hurt others not so much I don't mind people hurting me or saying things about me because I, I, I can cope with that. It doesn't particularly worry me. But when they hurt the ones that I love, I have to confess, I find it terribly hard to love back and probably fail in this sometimes. But it's something that God always challenges me about is to love those who I don't really like, if I'm allowed to say it like that. I don't know, but you as a family, and as a family, back in Wales, we could fall out hammer and tongs. We could say anything about each other, but God help anybody else who said anything about us. (laughs) Loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is about seeing things through their lens. It's about the extra mile. It's about kindness. The love that Jesus talks about always looks like something. When Jesus talks about love, it is always rooted in reality. It is not always ethereal or out there. The people that we meet every day, the people that we study with, we pass by and we live next door to. Everyone, if I can say it like this, we share this beautiful country with. And I'm not talking politics here. I am in part talking about neighborliness, but I am talking about a kingdom of being a people who are called out with a passion that love the Lord with all our heart and our mind and our soul and that we love our neighbors as a called out people to love people, to serve our community that says loud and clear, we want to love you and bless you, and we love you enough that we want to engage with you and talk to you about the things that are precious to us, and we want to talk to you about the gospel. That we allow his purposes, we allow his plans, if I can use this phrase, to supersede, to trump all that we really want to do, and to allow him to invade our space, and have his way. We do this only when we truly and fully accept that we are his and he is ours, and that we have been bought by a redemptive power, that we realize afresh that God is for us and not against us, and that we have the Holy Spirit living within us that enables us to do this. People with a passion to love like no one else can. We're going to push pause. Time is gone. We're going to come back next week and we can continue this. But can I encourage you to look at Matthew 6, uh, Matthew six thirty three, and the surrounding uh, verses there, but seeking first his purpose, his kingdom, and that will set us up for the weeks that lie ahead.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.